it, Red Arms. Give it your all. We'll drink the wine till the cup is dry and kiss the girls on down the cry and toss the dice until we fly and dance with Jack of the Shadows. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Tales of a Red Arm. I'm your host, Justin, and today we're jumping into Chapter 29, A Trapped to Spring. And a uh, quick recap of the previous chapters, basically, um, Matt is approached by three girls, basically asking him to deliver a letter to Elaine's mother in Andor. And essentially, he's like, well, I can't. And they're like, well, why can't you? And it's like, well, it's not because I don't want to. It's because I can. But like, the Omerlin's made it so I can't leave. They're like, well, if we can get you out of here, will you? And he's like, you better believe I will. I'll carry a land on my back to her mom. Um, so essentially, they give him the letter from the Omerlin, since the Omerlin gave two, one to Nynaeve, one to Egwene. So they're like, well, we only need one because the three of us are going to be together. So we only need one. So they give one to Matt. And Matt's like, ha, I'm going to use your own words to get me out of here, Amarlin. So, um, now in chapter 29, we have Nynaeve, Elaine, and Egwene in the kitchens cleaning up everything. Um, and Nynaeve's running the spit, it looks like. And... I'm not sure if the spit dog is in reference to an actual dog that guards the spit or the person who's the one designated to do it. So I don't know. I'm, it's not a term I'm familiar with, but she's like, Nynaeve is rotating the, uh, the spit and is not enjoying it. And she even swears going, burn them all. Um, and she's so upset that she uses language, which she doesn't even recognize that she's using, which tells her that, or tells us, the reader, how much she actually is upset. Like, it's not just she's upset, like, ugh, I can't believe I couldn't find the right thing to wear today. It's like, no, no, she's upset. But she feels like she's boiling from the heat, and if she climbed into the furnace itself, it probably would even be colder. Um, so Elaine's skimming grease out of a dripping pan under the roasts and using a long handled wooden spoon, which I cannot imagine being a useful tool for that, but Hey, here we are. Um, and it looks like Egwene is using a similar one to base the meat. And it's like, how many people do they use to do one thing? I don't know, but... Apparently three is the number, but it's the midday routine for the kitchen and it's a big kitchen cause it's got to, you know, pretty much cook for the entire white tower, but the novices that are in there to help clean and whatnot. And I'm assuming also some servants, but I assume more novices than servants. Um, essentially the, uh, the novices were getting used to seeing the three accepted girls and, but they would almost like never even glance at them and the cooks weren't allowing the novices to dawdle or anything. 
And according to the Aes Sedai, work-built character, and the cook saw to it that the novices built very strong character, <laughs> as well as the three accepted. And Laris, the mistress of the kitchens, even though it's technically just the chief cook, um, but the title mistress of the, the kitchens, I almost said the mistress of the chickens, <laughs> the mistress of the kitchens, um, has been used on her so long that it might as well be her actual title. And she comes over and to look at them and the women specifically sweating over them. And then we get descriptions of her and it's not a particularly flattering, flattering description. Um, but this whole like first part or this first quarter of the chapter is basically descriptions of her, um, for details that are highlighted. So she was more than merely stout with layers of chins and a spotless white apron that could have made three novice dresses. So she's a big lady. Um, and we'll see a little bit more description in a second to kind of narrow it down. But she carries this long-handled wooden spoon that she carries like a scepter. So in other words, she would like hold it in the crook of her arm with the head of the spoon sticking out past her elbow. And it's not for stirring. It's for directing those around her. So it's basically a, a scepter of wand or something to like, you do this, you do that, etc. Um, and she basically directs people. And if they don't do it, they she smacks them. <laughs> <laughs> and she smacks those who are not building the character quickly enough to suit her fancy. She studies the roast, sniffs despairingly, and then turns her frown on the three accepted. And Nynaeve, you know, looks at Laris with a level look of her own while she's start turning the spit, and the massive woman's face never falters. Or alters. And Nynaeve tried smiling, but that didn't change her expression. But stopping work to speak to her quite civilly had been a disaster. It was bad enough being bullied and shived by Aes Sedai. Now, here's the funny thing. Nanny's literally getting a taste of her own medicine of how she's pretty much dealt with everyone in Emmonsfield and everyone outside of Emmonsfield since she became a wisdom. Which was bullying and chiving people. Like, <laughs> it's literally what she does. And she doesn't like that other people do it to her. It's like, maybe those people don't like that you do it to them either. Just saying. But she had to put up with it, despite not enjoying it. And it's how she was supposed to learn to use her abilities to channel and stuff. Um, she didn't like what she could do. It was one thing to know Aes Sedai were not dark friends for channeling the power, but another to show that she could herself channel. And she had to learn pretty much all she could from the White Tower, the Aes Sedai, and any teachers in order to get back at Moraine. And... She hates Moraine for what she did to Egwene and the other Edmunds feelers, pulling their lives apart, you know, causing all this mayhem around them and manipulating them for her own purposes. That's pretty much all that's keeping her going. The thing about it, though, is that stuff like with Egwene, eventually Egwene would have shown signs of doing this anyway, and she would have had to go to the tower one way or the other. Like, it, that's just the nature of it. Like, it's it, it would have happened eventually. And technically, Nynaeve herself would already have to do that as well. Like at some point it's going to draw attention through a merchant's train, through whatever, any, any type of trader or peddler or anything like that. In this case, a gleeman could even do it. Where it's like, I saw wondrous things at this place. The eyes that are like curious and then send somebody over there and then bam, they're just pulling every girl out of the two rivers from just the news of something that happens. It's like, Oh, this woman can heal anything. Well, they're probably going to keep an eye on you then. That's just that's just the nature of the game. 
But she doesn't think about it that way, of course. But when Laris treats her like a lazy, none-too-bright child, and to be forced to curtsy and scurry for this woman she could have put in her place with a few well-chosen words back at home, she almost grinds her teeth as much as she thinks of Moraine. It's like, well, maybe if I don't look at her. It's like, no, I'm, I'll be burned if I drop my eyes for this, this cow. Now, again, she swears and is not even thinking about it, and she's also ins insulting the lady. But Laura sniffs a little bit louder and then walks away, and this is another added description to her. She rolls from side to side as she crosses the freshly mopped gray tiles. In other words, she's got kind of a, a saunter from her massive size. Um, but we'll learn some other things about her uh, later on that kind of contrast what we've seen a little bit. Um, away from the physical aspect, of course. So Elaine glowers after her. He's like, if that woman strikes me, but once more, I shall have Gareth burn arrest her. And I'm like, first off, you can't. It's not his jurisdiction. Second off, he wouldn't because you probably deserved it. And he would know that because he's actually a smart guy. Um, but Egwene's like, be quiet. She has ears like a... And then Laris spins around as she had indeed heard, her frown deepening and her mouth opening wide. Before she had a, a, the ability to let sound out... The Omberlin's seat enters the kitchen like a whirlwind. Even the striped stole on her shoulders seemed to bristle. And the keeper, Leany, was nowhere to be seen. I'm not sure if it's Leanne or Leany. I think it's Leanne, maybe. It's just a very weird spelling of it. I, I, I've never been able to figure it out. Um, and then he was like, finally, it's about time. But the Omberlin didn't even go there go their direction or look at their direction or anything. She just didn't say a word. She just runs her hand across the tabletop, scrub bone white, and she looks at her fingers as if she's looking, looking at filth in her fingers and her face matches that look. Laris populates right at her side in an instant and just all smiles as if the Omerlin's flat stare didn't make her swallow them into silence. <laughs> Um, the Omerlin stalks about the kitchen, going around, staring at the women slicing oat cake. She looks at the women peeling vegetables, sneers into the soup kettles. <laughs> it's so funny because it's like she's given like this whole Hell's Kitchen kind of overview of everything that's going on. And then what she does later on is just like completely opposite, which is funny. But she's like sneering. She's looking at the women tending to them. Women become very engrossed in studying the surface of the soup. And her frown set the girls carrying plates and bowls out to the dining room at a run. Um, her glower puts the novices jumping around like mice sighting a cat. And by the time she made her, her way around, you know, at least half of the kitchen, every woman was working twice as fast as she had been. <laughs> it's, it's, that's one of the things that like some, some places, if you don't have like a really fun, nice boss, like they kind of make your life miserable. Like I got to keep this job. So you like go out of your way to like work as hard as you can while they're there. But then when they leave, you're like, Oh wow. I just burned out half of my energy. Just doing that like five minute run. It's that kind of a feeling. Um, but then she completes her circuit and Laris is the only one even who would look at her. The ambulance stops in front of the roasting spit. 
with her fists on her hips and looks at Laris. She looked, she looked, but she was expressionless, blue eyes, cold and hard. So, Swan's blue eyes. The large woman gulps and her chin, her chins, plural, wobbled as she smoothed her apron. The armlin doesn't even blink. Laris' eyes dropped and she shifted heavily from foot to foot. It's like, well, if the mother will pardon me, she, you know, says in a faint voice and dips away. And you can, you can tell what's going on here is that the Armelin shows up to look over these three that are being punished by her directly. And Laris shows up and she's like, you're not supposed to be here. But she doesn't say it verbally. She says it with her eyes. And Laris is like, I'll be going. <laughs> um, and then looked like she appeared to make a curtsy and then she rushes away and then forgets herself that she joins one of the women at the soup kettles and begins stirring with her own spoon. The same spoon that never is used for soup. Nynaeve smiles, keeping her head down to hide it, and Elaine and Egwene keep working, but they kept glancing at the Amarlin, who's about two paces away, and her back is to them. And the Amarlin spread her stare across the kitchen and is like, if they are this easily cowed, perhaps they really have been getting away with too much for long. And she's not saying, she's saying that softly. And Nanny's like, easily cowed indeed. Pitiful excuses for women. All she did was look at them. Now, this is from Nynaeve being like super hardcore with everyone around her for the longest time. And it's a little different. Because Nynaeve didn't grow up around the Amarlin. She didn't grow up around super powerful women. She grew up as one of the most powerful women in her area. If she wasn't, she probably would be easily cowed. But then also, the thing about specifically Egwene and Nynaeve, I guess to some extent, Elaine does apply to this as well, but it's it's a little bit different. Because Elaine grew up as royalty. So everyone besides her mother, Gareth Bryn, and that type of stuff, and Lini, her, uh, Lini her uh, nurse were the ones who didn't answer to her. Everybody else pretty much did to some extent. Um, but then for Egwene and Nynaeve, they grew up in a culture that's very, very stubborn and where women hold equal power to men in their own way. Um, basically the women's circle. Here, that doesn't work. Because women are in power, definitely. Like, Tarvalon is women in power. Like, it's, it's a matriarchal society. It's matriarchal everything. Um, there is no such thing as a patriarchy in Tarvalon, with maybe the exception of the warders, and that's when warders are over warders. So, like, Hamar, um, the head of the warder training and stuff, um, he's basically in charge of the warders and maybe to some extent he might be even in charge of the, the tower guard, but ultimately the tower guard answers to the Aes Sedai and so does Hamar. Um, so in that regard, it's a little bit different. Um, but in overarching totality, it's matriarchy all the way. There are men and women all throughout the city and everything, and for the most part, it acts like a normal city, but the actual true power, like a royal family kind of thing, is the Aes Sedai, which are all female. Um, so in this in this particular case, that's that's that. Like, But 
she grew up in a uh, kind of the matriarchal side of the females of Emmonsfield with Egwene being her pupil, I guess. So she didn't have that kind of feeling. So she's sitting there going like, ah, oh, pitiful excuses for women when she doesn't know what the Amarlin can do to them kind of thing. And it's something where the novices will eventually hopefully become Aes Sedai. And if they become Aes Sedai in that regard, they'll be in a similar position to the Amarlin about everybody else. Now it doesn't mean they have to be hard on everybody. It doesn't mean they have to be jerks to people, but the odds are they'll be like expecting a lot of respect due to the fact that they think they've earned it all the way up to their position. And that's not really how respect works, but that's how they believe respect works. Um, you might earn your position, but you don't earn people's respect just by demanding it. You have to actually do something to earn it. Like the people respect the Amarlin seat because the Amarlin seat provides for Tarvalon. They kind of grace the city with their presence. And because of their presence, Tarvalon flourishes, but it also suffers when like the Aiel show up, when um, Arter Hawkwing shows up. Like there, there are things that are not good in that scenario. Um, but either way. So Nynaeve's like, eh, whatever. But the Amarlin looks over her uh, uh, shoulder and catches Nynaeve's eye, but Nynaeve realizes she's turning the spit even faster. Well, <laughs> easily cut indeed. Pitiful excuse for a moment. All she did was look at them, and then she's turned that spit really fast. And she tells herself that she had to pretend to be cowed like everyone else. Like, oh, yes, yes. I believe that's called cope. <laughs> so the Amarlin's gaze falls on Elaine, and then she speaks about loudly enough to rattle the copper pots and pans hanging on the wall. He's like, there are some words I will not tolerate in a young woman's mouth, Elaine of House Strickhand. If you let them in, I will see them scrubbed out. But everyone in the kitchen jumps, and Elaine's looking confused, and Egwene's got indignation on her face. And Nynaeve's like, shaking her head like no don't do it no girl hold your tongue don't you see that she's trying to do like that's it but Egwene opens her mouth with a respectful if determined mother she did not and then Elaine or the Amarlin just like silence and there's another ripple of jumps <laughs> just like the, the utter terror of these people underneath them if I was a novice or a servant I'd be um, like put me in the dining hall as quickly as possible like I'll take the plates out I hate doing it but I'll do it anyway get me out of here um, she's like, the Amarlin roars and he's like, Laris, can you find something to teach two girls to speak when they should and say what they should? Mistress of the kitchens. Can you manage that? So Laris came waddling faster than any of ever seen the woman move before, darting to Elaine and Egwene to seize uh, each of their ears or one of each of their ears. Um, and all going, yes, mother, immediately mother. Yes, you command mother. <laughs> she's like, zips them out. The two women are, you know getting dragged along as Lars is eager to escape the Amarlin stare. But now the Amarlin's close enough to Nynaeve to touch her, but she still looks over the kitchen. A young cook turning with a mixing bowl in her hands, a <laughs> chance to catch the Amarlin's eye, gave a squeak as she scuttled all the way across the floor. <laughs> I'm just like, man, Swan's got that glare. <laughs> but it's not just Swan that glare, it's also Swan and the power she holds being the Amarlin. And she's like, well, I didn't mean for her going to be caught in that. And she's like barely moving her lips. 
It's like, she it looks like she's muttering to herself, but from the expression of her face, no one in the kitchen wanted to hear what she was saying. <laughs> and then he was just barely can make out the words. It's like, but Honorlin continues with it, like, you know, maybe it'll teach her to think before she speaks. I'm like, okay, we've already gone over this. Egwene does not know how to think. That's not her strong suit. Elaine's right there with her. Nynaeve knows better than the other two, but she still even struggles herself sometimes. But they haven't, they haven't gone through the proper, you know, wake-up calls, if you will. But Nynaeve's like, I thought you were going to keep a close eye on us, Mother, so we could actually, you know, do what you want and report to you what we find. And <laughs> the Armelon's like, well, if I came to stare at you every day, daughter, some would grow suspicious. But she keeps staring at the, the, the kitchen. Most of the women avoiding even looking in her direction in hopes of not incurring her wrath. She's like, I plan to have you brought to my study under midday meal to scold you for not choosing your studies, so I implied to Leanne. But there's news that could not wait. Shiryam found another gray man, a woman, dead as last week's fish, and not a mark on her. She was laid out as if resting right in the middle of Shiryam's bed. Not very pleasant for Shiryam. Which doesn't make much sense, because... I mean, let's let's think about this real quick. The Grey Men are the Dark One's assassins, the unnatural assassins that have the ability to blur past things and like your eyesight just slips right past them and you don't notice them because they're so ordinary. Like it's magical in nature. They're there to kill people. So if one came to kill Sheriam, Sheriam would have fought them or died. One of those two options. Why on earth, why under the light would there just be a Grayman just dead in your bed? Like, why? <laughs> like, there's, there's no reason for that. But no one even thinks about that, which is kind of weird. But Nynaeve stiffens and then spit halts for a moment before she gets going again. And, um, Nynaeve tells the Amarlin, you know, Shariam and, uh, Elida had a chance to see the list that Varen gave to Egwene, and they had a chance, but I'm not making any accusations, but they did have a chance. And Egwene said Alana behaved, uh, oddly. And he's like, oh, she said that, did she? Well, Alana is Arafelin. They have strange ideas about honor and debts in Arafel. So right there, we get some of our earlier, if not the first, information about Arafel. So Arafelans have this strange customer concept behind honor and debts and the ideas of them and whatnot. So that's something that if we run into any Arafelans, you can be like, I'm going to apply this sense of honor and debts and whatever to this Arafelan because in their culture... They are Arafelin. Like, they're all going to look the same in terms of where they're from. And they're going to behave in similar fashions. It would be hard for somebody else to come into there, like somebody from uh, Shinar, and show up in Arafel and act like an Arafelin because they're Shinar. They're, they'd be very different in how they do things. Now, as far as I'm aware, the Borderlands as a whole, the, the line of countries... Or nations, I should say. I mean, they're countries, nations. Countries is just more of a modern term. Nations is an older term. Um, the nations all have a sense of honor, but how they deal with honor and how they deal with their duty 
varies amongst each one, but they all have it. They all have honor, duty, and all that stuff. So this is something we can see about Arafel because we saw how Shinar behaved. We saw how they dealt with uh, women in their own rooms. We saw how they dealt with um, the other aspects amongst, like, you know, keeping everything lit in the forts and in the towns that um, Murdral couldn't port themselves in through shadows and this, that, and that other. Like, they're very much different than other places. Now, does that mean that non-Shinaran territories don't light torches? Well, I would assume that they would because it's the borderlands and nobody wants to die to a Murdral. Like, that's kind of a no-brainer. But we don't know for sure. Um, so that's a little bit background historical basis of Arafel, which is kind of nice. It's like, well, I can keep an eye on her, but have you learned anything useful yet? And then he's like, well, a little bit. Um, and he's like, well, none of you thinks in her head, like, hey, but what about keeping an eye on Shirion? Maybe she didn't just find that gray man. Hmm? Hmm? And he's like, well, the Omerlin could watch Elida too for that. You know, matter, you know. And Alana really did, you know, whatever. It's like, well, I don't understand why you trust Elsa Grinwell, but your message was helpful. But then in a short sequence of sentences and whatnot, um, Nynaeve tells about the things they found in the storeroom under the library, making it seem that only she and Egwene had gone, out of the conclusions they had reached concerning them. Obviously doesn't mention Egwene's dream, or whatever it was, even though Egwene insisted it had been the real existence of Runriad that she was in, the real instance but she also didn't tell of the beautiful lady in white with black hair and all that stuff. Mostly because Egwene didn't tell her. Um, at least anything really over the top. But she doesn't speak of the Teron Grail that Varen had given Egwene. And she couldn't really make herself and try to trust the woman wearing the seventh strand stroll. Or any woman who would wear the shawl for that matter. Which, to be fair, is in line with um, Nynaeve's character. Um... You know, she's like, yeah, some of the stuff you got to keep in reserve. But she's done. The omelette's kind of silent that Nynaeve begins to think the woman hadn't even heard. And she was about to you know, start back up and tell her about it all again. But then the omelette speaks, not really moving her lips. And she's like, I didn't send any message, daughter. You know, the things that Leandrin and the others had left were searched extremely thoroughly and burned when nothing was found. No one would use black Aja leavings. As for Elsa Grinwell, I remember the girl. She could have learned had she applied herself, but all she wanted was to smile at the men at the warder's practice yard. Elsa Grinwell was put on a trading vessel and sent back to her mother ten days ago. Now, this has a lot of questions added to it. One of them being, if if it wasn't Elsa Grinwell. It was somebody impersonating Elsa Grinwell. And if it's a person, if it's a person impersonating, it's a little difficult for my brain to work for some reason. Um, if it's a person impersonating them, um, then how exactly did they expect people to believe it's Elsa Grinwell? If it's more or less common knowledge that Elsa Grinwell's gone, it's a very weird thing. To, to go with that. But Nynaeve tries not to, or tries to swallow this lump that she had gotten in her throat and 
the Omelin's word make her think of bullies taunting smaller children. You know, bullies were always so contemptuous of the littler children, always so sure the small ones were too stupid to realize what was happening, that they made little effort to disguise their snares. But the black Aja was so contemptuous of her made her blood boil that she could set the snare or set the snare fill her with ice. Or that they had set the snare, had filled her stomach with ice. It's like like if Elsa was sent away, anybody I talked to could be Leandrin or any of the others. Like she doesn't know. But the spit stopped, so she starts hastily getting it to go again. And no one seemed to notice, and they're all doing their best not to look at the Omerlin. And the Omerlin's like, well, what are you planning on doing about this obvious trap? And do you mean to fall into this one, too? And then his face is like, I know this trap for a trap, mother. And the best way to catch whoever set a trap is to spring it and wait for him or her to show up. And it sounded weaker than she had thought when she had said it to Egwene and Elaine. And then after what the Amarlin just told her, but she still just met, met it the same way. It's like, well, maybe so. Perhaps it was a way to find them. If they do not come and find you held tightly in their net. And she's a little vexed and she's like, I'll put gold in your room for the journey. And I will let it be whispered about that I have sent you to a farm to hoe cabbages. Will Elaine be going with you? <laughs> it's just like, oh, how did you know? It's like, well, you're always together. So, duh. And then he's just like staring at the Amarlin and then puts her head back on her hands. And he's like, well, her knuckles are white with the spit handle. He's like, you scheming old. Why all the pretense if you knew? Your sly plots have had us squirming nearly as much as the Black Aja has. But why? The Amarlin's face had tightened to make her add a bit more of a respectful tone. He's like, if I may ask, mother. <laughs> the Amarlin's story is like, putting more gaze back on the proper path, whether she wants to go or not will be hard enough without her thinking I've sent her daughter to the, a sea in a leaky skiff and this way I can say straight out that it was none of my doing I may be a bit hard on Elaine when she finally has to face her mother or it may be a bit hard on Elaine when she has to face her mother but I have three hounds now not two I told you I'd have hundreds if I could she's like well this has gone long enough if I stay this close to you it may be noticed have you noticed anything more to tell me or to ask make it quick and he's like, what is Kalendor, mother? <laughs> and the Omerlin forgot herself and half turns around towards Nani before jerking herself. It's like, they cannot be allowed to have it. They can't possibly take it. Like she's talking to herself. And then she takes a deep breath. And then we learned a little bit about it. And he's like, well, no more than a dozen women in the tower know what Kalendor is. And perhaps as many outside. The High Lords of Tyr know, but they never speak of it. Except when a Lord of the Land is told upon being raised. The sword that can be t cannot be touched is a Sa'angriel, girl. Only two more powerful were ever made, and thank the light, neither of those were ever used. With Kalendor in your hands, child, you could easily level a city at one blow. If you die keeping that out of the Black Aja's hands, you and Egwene and Elaine, all three, you'll have done a service to the whole world, and cheap at the price. I mean... Three people dead, considered cheap, seems harsh, but considering flat entire cities is, uh, makes sense. Um, and then he was like, well, uh, how would they be able to take it? I thought only the Dragon Reborn could touch it. And Dumberland gives her kind of a sideways look, just, you know, not pleasant. And he's like, well, they could be after something else. They stole Tirangriol here. The Stone of Tear holds nearly as many Tirangriol as the Tower, which means they have quite the collection. 
Which I am surprised the Amelin hasn't just marched down there and said, we're taking all this, and then taking it. But It's like, well, I thought the High Lords hated anything to do with the One Power. Which is a true statement. And it's like, oh, they do hate it, child. Hate it and fear it. When they find a Tyran girl who can channel, they bundle her onto a ship for Tarvalon before the day is done, with hardly time to speak goodbyes to her family. And the most important part of this entire section is, the Amarlin's murmur was bitter with memory. Because this is exactly what happened to her. They found out she could channel, they threw her on a ship to Tarvalon before the day was over, and she didn't have hardly time to say goodbye to her family. That's how Swan Sanche ended up in the White Tower as a novice. Then here, the next part, yet they hold one of the most powerful focuses of the power the world has ever seen inside their precious stone. It's my belief that is why they have collected so many Tier Angriel, and indeed anything to do with the One Power, over the years. As if by doing so they can diminish the existence of the thing that they cannot rid themselves of. The thing that reminds them of their own doom every time they enter the heart of the stone. Their fortress that has been broken a hundred that has broken a hundred armies will fall as one of the signs of the dragon is reborn. Not even the only sign, just one. How that must rankle their proud hearts. Their downfall will not even be the one great sign of the world's change. They cannot even ignore it by staying out of the heart. That is where lords of the land are raised to high lords, and where they must perform what they call the rite of guarding four times a year, claiming that they guard the whole world against the dragon by holding Kalindor. It must bite at their souls like a belly a belly full of live silver pike, and no more than they deserve. But then she kind of shakes herself, and realizing she had said more than she wanted to, and she's like, well, is that all? And then he's like, yep, that's good. <laughs> that's everything. And he's like, wow, it always comes back to Rand, doesn't it? Always back to the dragon reborn. And she had, like, being that she was raised, like, she grew up and took care of Rand and whatnot, and the other one, the other kids from there, it's, it's hard for her to think of him, like, Rand is the dragon reborn. The Armelin shifts it again, and he's like, all right, I'll have to set this to right. I need to speak to you without delay, but Lars is a good woman, and she manages the kitchen and the larder as well. And he was like, Laris is a sour lump of lard, and too handy with that spoon by half. And she thought she muttered under her breath, but the Armelin chuckles rightly, and he's like, ah, fine judge of character you are, child. You must have done well as wisdom of your of your village. It was Laris who went to Shiriam and demanded to know how long you three are to be kept in the dirtiest and hardest work without a turn of the lighter. She said she could not be party to breaking any woman's health or spirit, no matter what I said. A fine judge of character indeed, child. And then Laris came back into the kitchen doorway, hesitating to enter her own domain, <laughs> and then the armlet went to meet her, smiles replacing her frowns and stares. She's like, oh, it all looks very well to me, Laris. And her words came loud enough for the entire kitchen to hear. I see nothing out of place, and everything as it should be. You are to be commended. I think I will make Mistress of the Kitchens a formal title. <laughs> That's that contrast I was talking about earlier. The stout woman's face fluttered with, or fluttered from uneasiness to shock to beaming pleasure. By the time the Armelins swept out of the kitchens, Laris was all smiles. Her frown returned, though, as she looked from the Armelins departing back to her workers, and the kitchen seemed to leap back into motion, <laughs> and Lara's grim stare settled on Nynaeve. But Nynaeve tried smiling at the big woman as she's turned the, spite, the, the spit again, but Lara's frown deepened, and she began tapping her spoon on her thigh. Apparently, that 
she seemed to have forgotten that she had used that once for its actual intended purpose of stirring soup, and it left smears of soup on her white the white of her apron. And Nynaeve's like, I will smile at her if it kills me, even though she had to grit her teeth in order to actually do it. So Gwen and Elaine appeared, twisting their faces and scrubbing their mouths with their sleeves, and at a stare from Laris, they dashed to the spit and resumed their labors. And Elaine's like, soap, it tastes horrid, ugh. And Egwene trembles as she spoon juice from the pan over the... And she's like, Nynaeve, if you tell me the Amelin told us to stay here, I will scream, and I actually might run away for real. <laughs> Which I think is funny, because she's the one who's, like, so gung-ho about coming to the tower. And she's like, we're leaving as soon as the wash-up is done, as quickly as we can grab our belongings from our rooms. And she wished she could share the eagerness that flashed behind her eyes, and is like, well, light send, we aren't walking into a trap we can't get out of, and light send it is so. And that's it. That is chapter 29. <sighs> we are past the halfway point, folks. And it's good. Or I guess we're just finished up with it, more or less, the halfway point. <laughs> but yes, um, the next chapter is actually a super fun one for me. I, I enjoyed it, mostly because it gets a little bit of excitement into it that most chapters don't typically get when it's just dialogue or people talking about this, that, or the other. Um, but yeah, let me know what you thought. Did you think that the Armelin would show up? Did you think that they would have a chat? Did you think all the information she gave to her? What did you think about the Elsa Grinwell information? All that stuff. I'd love to hear what you guys think about it. Um, if you have your own theories about what could potentially happen, if you are newer and if you're a veteran... Any theories you might have about any pieces of information that might be missing from it, be wonderful to hear from you. Um, you can reach out on Facebook, Tales of a Red Arm, or on Twitter, at Tales of a Red Arm, or directly through Gmail, which is Tales of a Red Arm at gmail.com. Um, love to hear from you guys. And if you could share the podcast with anyone you think might enjoy this kind of uh story or just they like a good detailed epic series <laughs> with a lot of cool stuff and trust me it gets even better which seems hard to believe but it's true it gets really better um and a lot of exciting things you'll love certain characters hate other characters it, it's it's a great it's not just a superficial series so you'll definitely enjoy it in its entirety but the more people that are involved with coming into the fold so to speak of tales of a red arm or even overarching just the wheel of time like even if they don't like the podcast if they enjoy the wheel of time there's more people for us to enjoy things with and anybody who likes lord of the rings would like this series so and if anybody likes, you know, the Song of Ice and Fire, George R. R. Martin stuff, this is superior in every way possible. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think the the books from A Song of Fire and Ice aren't that bad, but George R. R. Martin's got nothing on Robert Jordan. And Robert Jordan got George R. R. Martin his start by getting him a publisher and everything. So without Robert Jordan, you wouldn't have A Song of Fire and Ice, more than likely. At least not for some time afterwards. <laughs> so you thank Robert Jordan for that. Rip. Uh, requiescent in pace. But yeah, 
thanks everybody for hanging out. Um, we're looking at chapter 30 on the next drop of the episode. I hope you guys will join me and thanks for hanging out. Until then. We drink all night and dance all day and on the girls will spend our pay and when we're done then we'll away to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll toss the dice however they fall and snuggle the girls be they short or tall and follow young Matt wherever he goes to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll toss the dice however they fall and snuggle the girls be they short or tall then follow Lord Matt wherever he goes to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll give a yell with a bloody curse And hug the mags, it could be worse Let's ride away with the dark woods first To dance with Jack of the Shadows yeah. 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 Yeah.